are. Week, I have lost count of things. Yeah. Let's actually find out, though. I'll, I'll go get my calendar and count. When did you, did you start before, after the official Massachusetts declaration of before. shutting down? Before. I started March 16th. I started around March 12th. Okay, yeah. Okay. So let's count from the 14th. One, two, three, four, five. We're almost at week six. You are fully through week six, and I'm just about to week six. And by the time this comes out, it'll be week six. Fully week six for both of us. Six weeks. Yeah, and you oh. rarely left your house at all. Yeah, I, uh, I now go for 15-minute walks each day. As part of your physiotherapy for it's your back. prescribed to me by my physical therapist, yes. Mm-hmm. My city has now, they haven't mandated, but they strongly suggest they're asking everyone to wear a mask when they're outside and cannot social distance Mm -hmm. to the extent that they're collecting donations of masks and distributing them to people who like can't get access to a mask. That's great. Or cloth face covering. Yeah. Yeah. So the times there are changing. Yeah. I am. I grocery shop in Connecticut now because Massachusetts decided that reusable bags are too much of a health risk for their grocery store workers, which there's no actual evidence to support, but like, whatever. I grocery shop in Connecticut now so that I can use reusable bags. And in Connecticut, masks are mandatory everywhere throughout the state. Oh. Yeah. Last week, that was not true. So last time I went to the grocery store, about half the people were wearing masks. And then when I went again yesterday, uh, there was a sign on the door saying there's due to the regulations, blah, 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 we are asking that everyone wears a mask. And not everyone was wearing a mask, but it was definitely the normal thing to have a mask on. And does, is it starting to feel different for you? Yes. I actually, the only change to my behavior because of feelings about a mask was that I often, when I go to the grocery store, I wear my prescription sunglasses on the drive there. And sometimes I just leave them on because changing them is... You know, it's an yeah, extra step. My, gla- my sunglasses, my prescription sunglasses from right. the grocery store also because the quality of the light is so... Yeah. Like, yeah. But I didn't feel right wearing my sunglasses and a mask. It felt very like I'm hiding my face and <laughs> okay. yeah, an incognito and I'm going to rob the place or something. Like I, So I, I changed my glasses to my regular glasses while I was wearing a mask in the grocery store. So that people could see your eyes. Yeah, so that it wasn't my whole face that was buried behind something. Well, all right then. So that's what's going on. That's where we're at. This is the this is the whole new world. Yeah, here we are, deep in the middle of it. I would say, I would say we're at the beginning of the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've gotten to a comparatively steady state, ish. There's going to be a transition point pretty soon, an inflection point. Mm-hmm where things get really messy as different states begin to apply different standards. They're not already doing that? uh, Yeah, but we're going to begin to see and feel real differences in the way states are responding and the impact that has on their infection rates and their hospitalization rates. Right. And yes, we're seeing that, but mostly we're seeing that in like California versus New York. Right. And Massachusetts and Connecticut and uh, Georgia is beginning to enter the fray. And Louisiana was in there for a minute in Michigan. And Mm -hmm. it's like more and more states are becoming part of the conversation as their infection rates grow. Like South Dakota is becoming 
uh, right. target of attention. It's less and less about urban centers and more and more about individual workplaces that became super spreaders. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's also becoming, well, no, I, I, is it a change that it's so political and that we always mention it's the Republican governors who are doing the No, that's dumb not shit. a change. <laughs> that's a continuation yeah. of, of shitty. Yeah. It's, yeah. So the thing that you suggested we talk about, which I thought was a very good idea, is the concept of foop. And one of the reasons I thought it was so important is because not just that people everywhere are experiencing foop, but specifically when people describe the experience of having COVID, they are clearly experiencing foop. Mm. And so I want to talk about it both from the point of view of like people living with social distancing, but also people living with COVID. So let's begin with a definition. What the fuck is foop, Amelia? Foop is the state of mind that you reach after a long period of frustration that is the oscillation between dark despair and red fiery rage. It's after you have gone through struggle, 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 and your brain switches your assessment of a goal from achievable to not achievable and dumps you into a pit of despair but you don't stay necessarily in that pit of despair. The transition into the pit is a, is a volatile one. Yeah, it is a, a point of chaos Yes, in, in a very literal sense. So this goes back to the monitor that we talked about in an early episode. People who haven't heard that, please feel free to go back and listen to the episode of the monitor. It's chapter yeah. two in, in Burnout. There's a monitor in your brain. This is a metaphorical monitor. The technical term is criterion velocity and the discrepancy reducing increasing feedback loop. And anytime I say that in a classroom, half the people instantly fall asleep. So mm -hmm. I have learned <laughs> not to call it the discrepancy reducing increasing feedback loop and criterion velocity. I call it the little monitor. So this little like monitor, not like the lizard, but like a, a watcher in your brain that knows a few things. She knows be clear, what you're what doing is personifying a brain process. Yeah, this is a metaphor for an actual thing that exists, a functional loop in your brain. It knows what your goal is. In this case, it might be either to like get back to normal or it might be to heal from COVID. It knows how much effort you're investing and how much time is passing. And it knows how much progress you're making. So it's keeping track of how far you've come. And it has a very strong opinion about what the ratio should be of progress to effort. It wants a big honking ratio. It wants you to make like lots of progress relative to the amount of effort you're investing. It wants to know in advance if a lot of effort is going to be required. It won't mind effort if it knows. Yeah, as long as it knows in advance. It, that's called the expectancy. Yeah. Uh, your monitor's expectancy about what amount of effort and time will be required in order to achieve the goal. So I often use the example of driving to the mall after traveling around the globe from Maui to Moscow, as I say, on average, wherever I go, it takes about 20 minutes, 20 minutes. to get to the mall. <laughs> mm -hmm. Everywhere. Of course, that varies from place to place. It's about an hour in Vermont, but most places about 20 minutes. 20 minutes so you yeah. get in the car because we're in a place where you get in a car to go to the mall which you can't currently go to but this is an analogy and here's the thing is really light traffic and all green lights and you're just like zipping along it's only been 10 minutes and you are most of the way there how does that feel 
Yay! Right. It's like the whole universe is organized around you, your personal needs. You feel spectacular and great because your effort is exceeding your little monitor's expectancy about the effort required to achieve this goal. Awesome. Way less effort. Oh my gosh. Way less effort. Still achieving the goal. Happy, happy, happy. Exactly. But if you get like there's sort of heavy traffic and then you get stuck behind somebody who stops too early at a red light. And you know how once you get one red light, you get you all, get them all. The red lights. And so you start to get Antsy. frustrated, mm. a little bit annoyed, Irritated. right? Because yeah. you're putting in a little, because it's been 10 minutes and you're not even halfway there. That's more effort than you expected. And so that's where the frustration comes from. And so what do you do as a result of that frustration? You get annoyed. And you actually are motivated to work harder. You try yeah. to get around that asshole motherfucker yeah. in your way. Yeah. Stupid jerk getting around. And you become that jerk who like tries to like get around people and like blah, yeah. blah, blah. Because it's motivating. A little bit of frustration is really motivating mm-hmm. to put in more effort in order to make more progress toward the goal. You think you're going to stop me from getting there? I'll show yeah. you. I'm going to get there. But suppose you're like parked in the traffic. Like everything is shut down, all the lanes of the highway, and you're just sitting there. Here's a totally random example, parked on I-95 south of Philadelphia at three o'clock in the morning in 1998 uh, because a tractor trailer crashed and is crossing all the lanes of traffic. Everybody's just parked there for an hour. This is before Google Maps and Waze. You have no idea what's happening or how long you're going to be there. And you get increasingly frustrated. You're just like totally enraged. Why? I just, what's going on up there? I don't even know. So you're like, all this time is passing. There is nothing you can do to change anything. Your frustration escalates and escalates until eventually your little monitor switches its assessment of your goal of just getting home from being attainable to being unattainable. It pushes you off an emotional cliff into a pit of despair and you're sitting in your car and you go from like gripping the steering wheel and gritting your teeth and screaming to going, I just wanted to go home. I'm never gonna get home. Is that just me? A very random example. It's thoroughly not related to any personal experience I've ever had. Off the top of your head. Yeah. So when we talk about this, people often imagine like a particular semester they had or a work project or a relationship or an election Uh where people just like put in all everything they have and their brain pushes them off a cliff into a pit of despair because there's nothing they can do. Now, people relate to this, but I think it's really important that we pause and think about that pivotal moment where your brain switches its assessment of your goal from being attainable to being unattainable. In the case of a relationship, for example, do you end the relationship or do you stay in the relationship? You go from enraged, I'm gonna do everything I can to like change this and this jerk needs to change their ways and like blah, 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 to like, I'm a failure. Nothing I do can save this relationship. I'm not good enough. I am helpless and hopeless. I'm going to die alone, eaten by dogs. But then oscillates back to, no, goddammit, I'm going to fix this. And no, my partner is such a jerk and an asshole back to the depression and despair. Sound familiar at all? Foop. Yeah, that's foop. That crazy feeling of oscillating between frustrated rage and helpless despair. Yeah. And it happens 
at the point where your brain is trying to decide whether a goal is attainable or not. Mm -hmm. So when people are struggling with their monitor in this way, there are three targets of intervention. Tell us about the three targets. Well, you can change the expectancy. Right. Is that, I think that's, is that the hardest one to change or is that the easiest one to change? I think it's the easiest one to change. Okay. So if the expectancy is we're going to be able to open up and we'll have churches full of people on Easter, right? If that's your yeah, expectancy. Right. When you get like a concrete deadline like that, yeah. it's just this really clear expectancy of, oh, great, Easter. I can wait until Easter. So then when you get to Easter and it doesn't happen, foop. Yeah. But if... Frustrated rage, helpless despair. But if you then get the information, maybe particularly if you get it in advance, no, 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 Easter is not a realistic goal. A realistic goal is next Easter. Then that's painful for a minute, but your monitor is way happier knowing long-term, okay, we are in this for a while. Yeah. So it knows this is going to be hard. It's going to be long and it's not going to be as difficult to assess accurately what your progress is toward that goal relative to its expected progress. The expected progress be... is slow. So if the actual progress is slow, bingo. That's just, Fine. yeah, that's just like, if you're climbing up Mount Everest, you mm -hmm. expect it to be the most difficult thing you've ever done. Right. So when it is extremely difficult, that There's does no... not feel wrong. It feels right. appropriate. Yes. And this lasting until next Easter is incredibly difficult. And yep. though if you had the expectation that it was going to be this Easter, there's going to be grief and frustration mm -hmm. and anger that mm -hmm. you can't have the thing you wanted. And the thing you can have is so much harder and worse. Mm -hmm. And that's just part of the process of letting go of the old incorrect expectancy. Yeah. In the case of when the pandemic stuff is going to end, it's actually a little bit easier to let go of an expectancy than for some other expectancies about like, you know, how long is it going to take you to finish your college degree? Four right. years, everybody says. On average, it takes five years. Mm -hmm. So if it takes you five years or you're like at the end of year four and you still haven't finished, sometimes people get really mad at themselves and they feel like they're a failure. And oh, letting go of that expectancy requires letting go of the idea that they're a person who's going to finish a degree in four years. Mm -hmm. which is like letting go of a piece of your identity. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, this is an expectancy where like you don't have to, it's not you, <laughs> you know, for sure. It has yeah. nothing to do with you. I feel like some of the protests that are going on, of the percentage of protesters who are genuinely protesting and are not there because of astroturfing efforts, for the people who really believe that things should be opening up sooner than they are, I feel like this is a rage response to their expectancies being violated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of the rage and frustration comes from the helplessness aspect of that pivot point. Mm -hmm. Like it is really difficult to acknowledge that there's literally nothing you can do to create change here. Yeah. I don't think that it's a coincidence that the protest started right after Easter. Right. Yeah. Because people who really believed that this was a deadline that was realistic and then their expectancies failed to be met and their brains went crazy. Yeah, they're trying to figure out whose fault it is. Yeah. That that didn't happen. Rage, 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 fight, 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 governor. protest, make it happen, make it happen. And let's face it, it's not a coincidence that it's mostly white people and mm -hmm. the loudest protests are against women governors. Yeah. That's also not a coincidence, I think. No. 
So when this is, so we can change the expectancy and that can be difficult if there's a grieving process involved in letting go because of a helplessness that you have to accept that there's only so much of this that you can be in control of. Uh, so you can change the expectancy, which is mm -hmm. changing your expectation of how long and how much effort it's going to require. We've talked on the podcast multiple times that the correct amount of effort is uncomfortable. Yeah. If you're uncomfortable and inconvenienced, that's correct. Frustrated, you're doing yeah. it right. Good job. Yes. Well done. That should be your expectancy. Also, it's going to last, expect two years. If you expect two years, you'll probably be positively surprised, but expect two years. Yeah. Hunger down, as they say. How yeah. do you hunker? What? Is that a real question? Yeah. Like, what is a hunker? Like, hunker down? What's a hunker? Is it a posture? Is I think it it's a, a posture. I think a hunker, hunkering is post, a posture, like squatting, um, taking with your cover. hands folded over your neck or head. Yeah. Okay. Being, yeah, covered up and low to the ground. That's a hunker. <laughs> I, just, I just, I like people are using that phrase a lot, and I don't, I don't know where it comes from. I, I just think people up. like saying it. Hunker, hunker, Hun hunker, hunker down. It's a fun word to say. Hunker, yeah. hunker, hunker. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> you can change the expectancy. What else can you change? You can change the goal. Okay. So that you can be not planning to survive the whole pandemic, but you can get to the end of today without, I don't know, you, it should be a positive goal. Obviously we already talked about goal setting. So instead of thinking, I'm going to get through the whole pandemic and I'll be just fine. You think I'm going to get through today and I'm going to eat a vegetable. Yeah. Soon certain positive, concrete, specific, personal. Personal. Yeah. Yes. The best goals are Soon certain positive, which we talked, we had a whole episode about that. Mm -hmm. Concrete, which means it be something you can visualize happening, something really like eating a vegetable, not eating healthy. That's too vague. Too vague. Eating you have to be specific. A green vegetable, a leafy green vegetable. I have specific. already had spinach today. So have I. Yeah. I made gnocchi and cream sauce with spinach. I had some eggs that were cracked in their container, so I had to... I had to use them, so I made a quiche. There you go. When life gives you cracked eggs, make quiche. So concrete, uh, specific, not, again, not, it has to be like, not just eat healthy, but eat a vegetable. Yes. And personal, something that matters to you. If eating vegetables is not a thing that matters to you, don't have that be your goal. Have it be something that matters to you personally. Yeah. So change the goal. Mm -hmm. And the third Thing to change to address when you're experiencing foop the amount of effort you're putting in yeah so you can change the amount or the kind of effort that you're investing mm -hmm. so maybe the kind of effort you're investing again this is just a thoroughly random example maybe you're investing a lot of effort in learning the difference between a flu virus like h1n1 and a coronavirus Maybe you're like learning about virology for the first time in your life because you feel like that's something that's going to help you get through. It turns out it's not helping you get through. It's just feeling frustrating because it is so very, very complex. And maybe that's not effort that's helping you to move forward in this situation. Mm -hmm. And so you have to abandon the effort of learning about the difference between a flu virus and a coronavirus and instead do something different. Like, for example, rewatching all of 30 Rock. Mm -hmm. Takes That's about the same amount of time. Yeah. But is a 
different kind of effort. Does that make sense? Yeah. So these are the things you can do to manage FOOP when it's happening by changing what your monitor is experiencing so that it backs you off the edge of the cliff of the pit of despair slash red fiery rage. So you'll no longer be standing on the edge of the cliff. You'll be just striving across the plains like usual. Maybe. Sometimes. In mm -hmm. the best circumstances. Sometimes something like changing the goal or changing the expectancy in particular, because they can be tied to our identities, because they require an acknowledgement of our helplessness in the face of big complex situations, you get pushed off the cliff anyway, because mm -hmm. you have to let go of something. You have to like let go of the cliff and let yourself fall into the pit and acknowledge that you actually are helpless in the situation. Mm -hmm. But if you can change the goal or change the expectancy, you have somewhere to go when you get to the pit. Yeah. You can get up and continue on having learned how to continue forward. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I think that fall into the pit of despair is a real barrier for a lot of people. The like abandonment. Oh yeah. Of hope. Yeah. People think that's the end. Yeah. And all it means is a transition. I had forgotten people think that's the end, but you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. People are really terrified of uh, letting go of the idea that the way they see things now is the only way to see things. And if it turns out they're wrong, then it means there is existential dread because nothing exists. And that's not true. People get trapped in FOOP when they're terrified of letting go of their current understanding of a situation. Yes, yes. You said Easter, therefore Easter, and zero evidence will yeah. compel their understanding to change. And so all they know is rage about the fact that it's not Easter. Mm -hmm. And they start like carrying signs like, I want a haircut. Yeah. 50,000 Americans have died, and you want a haircut? Yeah. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. Like, these are people without a sense of proportion, and the reason they don't have a sense of proportion is because they don't, they cannot tolerate abandoning their current understanding of the way the world works. Yeah. They need and to that's their, their monitor not having the flexibility and adaptability yeah. to create new expectancies and new goals. Yeah. And they're so, unwilling to change the kind of effort they're putting in. When, on the other hand, it's a person who's yeah. got COVID... It's a really tricky disease. It is not like other infections. It's not like a cold. It's not even like the flu because it comes and goes in this really like vicious, cruel way. You wake yeah. up feeling kind of sort of okay. You're warm, but you're sort of okay. Mm. And then like all of a sudden you crash and are worse. Yeah. And then you're okay again. You feel sort of all right. And then suddenly you can't breathe. Mm -hmm. There are complex issues in the way people's lung functioning happens. So, for example, you lose oxygenation, which is real bad. But because you are successfully expelling CO2, you're not getting enough air in, but you're successfully breathing out. And mm -hmm. it is the accumulation of CO2 that makes you feel short of breath. Mm -hmm. So even though you are sort of like panting and breathing much too fast in order to get more oxygen, you don't feel out of breath until all of a sudden you literally crash. Yeah. You cannot walk four feet. Yeah. Which means people are getting to the emergency room 
with blood oxygenation levels that are, quote, not compatible with life. Yeah. Because they didn't notice that they were out of breath. And also people who do get to a level where they're noticing that they're out of breath and that they can't breathe, they're going to the emergency room and being sent home until their condition gets worse enough that they have to be admitted. Right. Which hospitals have to do because they're yes. short of beds. They're short of beds, so that's right. all they can do. Yeah. C- come back when we're your only hope. So the system is profoundly fucked up. Mm-hmm. And the disease itself is treacherous and can turn on a dime. Mm-hmm. And some people have zero symptoms. Some people have digestive symptoms. Mm-hmm. Some people get hospitalization levels of sick, and some people like just get Chris Cuomo levels of sick, where it's real uncomfortable for a long time. And literally, you can test negative two days in a row, and a week later test positive again. Mm -hmm. Why is that happening? We don't know. So if you feel crazy while you have it, or you hear stories about people and you're like, that's fucked up, I really don't want that, one of the worst things about it is not the physical manifestation of the symptoms, but the crazy making experience of not having there be a linear path through the disease. Right, it doesn't can't... just like you get sick and gradually you get better. It progresses in this sporadic, del- I mean, it feels vindictive of the virus. It feels cruel yeah. Yeah. that it does this to us. Right. And so people like Chris Cuomo, who's never had depression in his life, he had PTSD, but he's never experienced depression before, talk about feeling crushed emotionally, feeling trapped yeah. and helpless. Yeah. And they I are- I said that it's a, it's a disease of the spirit. Yeah. It's like, it's toying with them like a fucking cat with a mouse. Yeah. Just like flicking you around mm-hmm. and making you feel helpless. So mm-hmm. some of the ways he's been coping is like, he tries to structure his day. He does his breathing exercises, whether it feels good or not. He knows ahead of time that the nights are going to be worse. And so he prepares himself for that, right? He changes his expectancy. Mm-hmm. He changes the effort he's investing, which is the breathing exercises. He's doing evidence-based stuff without even realizing that it's the evidence-based stuff yeah. in terms of the psychological management. Did you see the Stephen Colbert piece about Bootsy? No. Bootsy, the mom of one of the uh, oh yeah, camera guys. Yeah, goes to see James Hamblin from The Atlantic. No, I don't think I saw that one. So it was a little TV segment where Bootsy, the mom of somebody who works at the Stephen Colbert show, goes to see James Hamblin, a doctor who writes about health for The Atlantic, to do a little educational piece about COVID. And she's got multiple immune issues, and says, "So my brother was going to come up." And he's got some health issues. So are you saying he shouldn't come? And James Hamlin says, no, he should definitely not come. And you can see her face, the like starkness of, oh shit, I really have to change something. Yeah. There was a recent follow-up. So I did see that. I just got really uncomfortable with it because she does a lot of like negative food talk and negative body talk. And yeah, it it made me. It wasn't really about that though. I know, but I wish that they had found a way to go around that because it was you know. So here's the thing. There, the Atlantic has a podcast called Social Distance, which co-stars James Hamblin, mm-hmm. and they just did an episode with a follow-up of Bootsy. Mm-hmm. She got COVID. She did. And uh, yeah, a couple of weeks after the segment. 
having tried to do everything she could not to, she still yeah. got it. And she had that experience where she was, she was sort of doing okay, sort of doing okay. And then literally crashed like into her kitchen table. Yeah. Was hospitalized for over a week, yep. four days in the ICU. Wow. And again, this is a person who does not have a history of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And she describes like lying in a hospital bed, having a really dark thoughts. Yeah. And struggling emotionally because you can't tell where you are in the progression of the disease. Yeah. So your little monitor has no way to gauge how much effort you're making. Yeah. Versus how much progress you're making. Yeah. All the, all your monitor can feel is all the work you did, all the changes you made. You didn't see your brother. You didn't, yeah. you put on a mask when you went to the grocery store. You did all that work. You did everything you were supposed to do. And still here we are. Yeah. And she talked about lying to the doctors about her pain because the main thing she wanted was to get out of the hospital. Yeah. And she thought that if she told them about her pain, she would be there longer. Yeah. And so her goal was get out of the hospital, do right. whatever it takes to get out. Right. Which, which may or may not be compatible with survival. So she is in the process of recovery and recovery is itself slow, a long process. Long. Yeah. And it changes people emotionally being sort of like tossed around. I think it's like being lost at sea. Yeah. Where you're just like tossed by this force of nature mm -hmm. in this, it, can feel like deliberate cruelty, but it's just nature having its way with our organic bodies, just like torturing us, not on purpose, yeah. because that's, that's nature. Now, you also have never been hospitalized for any amount of time. Right. And I think you, you had your lip stitched once in the emergency room or urgent care. Yes. Or your eyebrow, maybe. I've never been admitted to the hospital. Yeah. I have spent multiple days in the hospital. And it's... It, it's Torture. a fucking nightmare. Yeah. yeah. It is it is exactly like you have a need that you feel like you ought to be able to meet yourself and you can't meet it and then it like can someone else meet it for you? Yes, but how do you get that to happen and are you at the top of the list of people who need things right now? It is it's terrible. Yeah. Being in the hospital is terrible. It is anxiety inducing and it will it will knock you off a cliff of despair within within a matter of hours of and a being lot of people who hospital. are hospitalized with covid including bootsy have really great positive things to say about the people who care for them and the amount of kindness and attention and warmth yeah the receive. infuriating nature of hospitalization has nothing to do with the people who work there they are doing the best they can with the resources they have available yeah but the system best. itself is designed oh, yeah. in a way yes. to make your monitor foopy yes exactly that's what i'm saying yeah and that's under the best circumstances. And Bootsy herself like has a lot of experience being hospitalized because mm -hmm. she has a lot of other health issues. And even for her, this was like her long Ask dark night of the soul. Yeah. It's different from anything else, especially because when you're hospitalized with COVID, you cannot have any visitors. And yeah. that isolation, like imagine your hospitalization without Malin. Yeah. Well, I am not a good illustration. Okay. <laughs> I, I much prefer to be alone in the hospital. I tolerate visitors because I know it makes them feel better. Yeah. But I just want to be left alone in the hospital. I think biologically it is helping you even though you don't like it. I'm sure. Yes. I'm completely, I know that that's true. It's, it's a kind of medicine. 
you don't yes. want it, you don't like it, but it is actually. But helpful. I know that it's good for me. Yes. Yeah. And it makes me. It makes it easier for me to make the choice to let it happen and to kind of spend some time in it because I know it's also good for them. Yeah. And with COVID, even your medical providers are spending as little time with you as possible. Right. And uh, some people who've been hospitalized for COVID talk about feeling guilty. Yes. Knowing that your medical providers are putting their lives on the line to care for you, to be in that room with you. Yeah. Feeling like I'm a biohazard. Yeah, exactly. No, that's exactly, that's my, that would be my number one feeling is, oh shit, I am, I am the, I'm the problem here. Yeah. Which I know is also is not like, true. Slightly, is not true and is kind of neurotic. <laughs> Let's just be honest. That's not like a. I mean, it's a human giver issue. Yeah, 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 yeah. I it's have not... only heard women say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Chris Cuomo did say that like his worst fear was that he would transmit the virus to his family, which he did. Which which did in fact happen. Yeah, and I'm so, sure like, he's like crushed by it. Yeah. So I mean, so it's not just women, but that is also like another, that's another layer to the frustration of. of yeah. Is. is the fear of, and you're helpless to know whether like you do everything you can, you yeah. do everything you can to limit infection risk. And like, this thing is so infectious that even your best efforts may not work. Yeah. That's, that's foopifying. Yeah. So strategies for foop. Yeah. I definitely, even when you say, the thing is so contagious that despite your best efforts, there might be nothing you can do really to prevent it being spread. Just that statement fills me with a level of rage that I can actually physically identify. And, and then you can identify your rage. Yeah. And then, in, and then immediately also a sense of, well, then fuck it. Like, yeah. I, like I definitely have both right away. And, oh, That's poop. There it is. Yeah. Sorry about that. So just talking about it is, so we're probably giving other people these feelings too. Yeah. So again, but let's having, go back to the things. Like but, having a oh. framework for understanding what that emotion is, yeah. having a language to describe it, we're calling it foop. It's a word we made up. It's like poop with an F, Yeah. that feeling. Yeah. And if you feel that way, yes. yes. And so here's what you can effectively do. Look at what your goal is. Look at what your expectancy is and shift them. Recognize that shifting them is probably going to require a letting go process that can be really painful. And if you're willing to allow the pain to move through you, it creates space for hope and joy. That's how it truly works. If you're interested in like a structured way to do this, Acceptance and commitment therapy is an evidence-based way to cope with stuff like this. I actually got to meet the guy who created acceptance and commitment therapy at uh, TEDx University of Nevada, Reno. Mm -hmm. He was also giving a talk. That's where he's faculty. I got to meet him backstage and I was like, hey, acceptance and commitment therapy really helped me with my social anxiety. Uh And he said, me too. So basically, it means like recognizing that it's uncomfortable, turning toward that discomfort with kindness, compassion, patience, allowing it to move through you, releasing it, and recognizing that when the discomfort begins, it will definitely end. You're not going to get, because people, feelings are tunnels. You have to move all the way through the darkness to get to the light at the end. People are afraid that if they allow themselves to move through it, that it's going to be 
a cave. Yeah, once you go in, you'll never come out. That's just like bats and a river of cyanide. Nope, nope. It's a tunnel. It's a tunnel. Yeah. There's a light at the end. No, it just, truly, truly, there's a light at every the end. single time it ends. And it doesn't mean that's the only time you're ever going to go through it. It is absolutely not the only time you're going to go through it. But and every single time you do, you get through it and get to the light. Yeah. Which teaches your nervous system that it can get through things. Yeah. And for almost everyone who gets COVID, that also has a light at the end. Yeah. No matter you how bad do it recover. is. recover. Most people recover. Almost 98% everyone. of people yeah. in America recover. Yeah. Particularly if you're not over 70. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Exactly. But it does mean that there's light at the end. And you come out different. You come out changed by the experience. Growing as a human with different priorities. Yeah. Which the same is way you would if you were lost at sea. One, which is one of the reasons, not just the people who get sick, but all of us who are living with a world that is very different from day to day, which is one of the reasons why we're all going to come out of this different. Normal is not going to be the same normal as before. Yeah. Because hopefully we're all going to turn towards our difficult feelings with kindness and compassion and yeah. learn that feelings are tunnels and there's lights at the end and we can survive a thing that seems impossibly difficult. Yeah. And I know that in my 20s, without knowing this stuff, I, in this situation, I would have been going totally berserk. I would have been so angry all the time. Really? I would have been so enraged at Trump. Yeah. Like, so angry. Because my expectancy would have been violated. Yes. Fortunately, I am old and cynical enough that my expectancy is not violated. This feels like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. It's appalling and terrible, but I'm really good at accommodating nightmares. Yeah. And also I have this framework. Like I wish I had had this framework at the 2004 election when I sunk into a depression so bad I literally couldn't taste food. Yeah. It's the only time that's happened to me and it's because I didn't understand the pit of despair and how to get out. I didn't know about like letting go of my old expectancies and goals. I didn't know. And now I know. Yeah. In my and 20s, I would not have believed you that I could change my expectancies and my goals. I would, have, I would have insisted that the goals are realistic, therefore they're the ones that should be. Yeah. And the only ones that can be. So hopefully this helps people not to suffer the way we think we would have suffered. Yeah. Before we knew this stuff. Turns out you can change the goal. And even if you know, in the back of your mind, survive the pandemic is the ultimate goal, your brain does not know the difference between a pandemic and a pancake. So it's going to respond to achieving little goals in a way that's going to be really good for you. Even if you know in the back of your mind, the long-term goal is not a thing that you're achieving, at least pandemic not Pandemic and a pancake? I don't know. It sounded they both start with pan. Yeah, it was really funny. <laughs> I just was in my mind thinking what starts with pan. <laughs> Are there any other words that start with pan? Um, pancake, pan... Sexual. <laughs> yeah. Pandemonium. Okay, there's lots of pan words. There's, there's, well, pan is a prefix that means a pan, thing. Pan continental, pan global. Yeah. Things that mean across the whole whatever. Pan. Anyway, but, it, but it's 9.30 in the morning and I thought of pancakes. <laughs> pancakes. 9.30 in the morning, and we have both already had a green vegetable. That's right. High five. 
yeah top and bottom like in top gun yeah i have been watching a lot of 30 rock yeah it's a lot of high-fiving and 30 rock yeah okay i hope this helps people yeah i definitely think that foop is one of the most relevant topics for managing the experience of being shut down and locked in and experiencing this whole covid pandemic yeah and just understanding is not enough but it is a necessary component of survival i think yeah you can't manage foop unless you recognize what it is okay so uh, i'm trying to wrap us up yes i can tell have you experienced foop during the pandemic stuff have you experienced it while you were sick? Have you experienced it with other circumstances? Was there something you figured out was helpful to coping with the foop? Do you have a hard time identifying the difference between rage and despair? Mm. Do they just feel like big, intense negatives? Yes. Or can you discern when you flip from one to the other? How can you tell? How can you tell which like, one it is? What is the cue? How do you know when you're oscillating? Despair? Yeah. Is there anything that helps you to let go? Because I feel like that's the hard part. Yeah. Let us know. Email us at feministsurvivalproject2020 at gmail.com. I think. If you've been in the pit and moved forward, we want to know how. Yeah, we want to know how because we will talk about it and use that information to help other people. We are on the social medias at FSP2020, Instagram, and Twitter. And we want to hear from you. And we're, we're making this podcast as part of how we cope with the nightmare that is 2020. So thanks for listening. So instead of thinking, I'm going to get through the whole pandemic and I'll be just fine, you think, I'm going to get through today and I'm going to eat a vegetable. The Feminist Survival Project 2020 is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts.